I've not always followed Jesus my whole life. I was, um, I, when I was growing up, the last thing on my mind was following Jesus. But and then Jesus did like this miraculous thing. I was like a really staunch atheist and I wanted nothing to do with God. And God is real, he's impotent because he can't fix anything because look at the world. And I was just like, I wanted nothing to do with God. But and then God kind of opened my eyes. It was just like one of those moments, right? And he opened my eyes to see him as beautiful and wonderful and answered questions like the, like the tension that I just shared with you now. And so I, I came to him, but here's what I found. I started to pursue Jesus, but I still came with me. Do you know what I mean? Like all of my old habits, all of my uh, sinful behavior, all of my sinful way of thinking, it all came with me. And I remember that I, I was coming to a service for a particular period of time. And it, it was a beautiful service that I was going to, and it was helping me to learn more about Jesus. But what would happen is, is, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I would come to the service, and I would swear off my thing that I love to do. Does anybody have a sin that they love to do? I have. No, do you? No? No? Just me? Yeah? So there was, there was a sin that I just loved to do. And on Monday, I would be like, I'll never do that again, because I was still like on fire from Sunday. And then on Tuesday, it's like, I will probably never do that again. And then on Wednesday, it was like, 50-50. By Thursday, I was plotting out what I was going to do. And by Saturday, it was all off to the races. Does anybody, has anybody had a series of weeks like this? I, that's my story. Here's what happened. I remember after uh, a night of sinning that I sat on my bed and, I said, and it was time to go to a church service. And I just said, what are you going to do? You're going to go to this church service? You're going to go to this church service after what you just did? And I was just sitting there. Now, you already know the decision I made because I'm in front of you right now. But the fact is, in that moment, it was a precarious situation. I didn't know what I was going to do. Sin does that. Sin has a way of ebbing away at our faith. In fact, most of the conversations that I have with people when they've come to Christ and then they decided to turn away from Christ, most of the conversations that I have with them are about, well, didn't you read in the New York Times and my professors said, those are the conversations that I have. But I've been doing this for a couple of decades and what I, what I wind up finding out is that those things aren't the things that turn them away from Jesus. It was this dirty, dark secret that nobody knew about. And then it only would come to light years later. That's how it would work out. But sin has a way of doing that, right? I think it was uh, Spurgeon, who's a famous, famous English preacher. He's called like the Prince of Preachers. And in his Bible, he said, he had uh, a thing written in his uh, Bible that said, um, either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. So we've been in a series, and it's just called Jesus. 
And the reason that we've been in this series called Jesus is that in this series, we've been asking, hey, we're going to be like someone in five years, in 10 years. We're going to be like someone. Why not be more and more like Jesus? Why not say, hey, I want to be more and more like Jesus? Because here's the truth. I am who I am at this point. And some of us get to where we are at some point, and we get there by mistake. And we don't like what we see. What if we made an intention of, of forming our lives? It's called spiritual formation. Forming our lives into the image of Christ. Well, today, we're looking at submitting unto Christ. We're looking at a passage. It's in James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, although our emphasis and our focus will be 7 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Now, I want you to know, I just realized something, that I didn't send my sermon notes so that you could look at it and write and follow along with me. I just realized that. And so, um, if you can follow along, there's blank spaces on your bulletin that you can write on, if you like, to follow along. James is writing to Christians. And in around chapter 3, he starts talking to Christian leaders. And he starts saying, he's, he starts addressing real teachers and false teachers. The way they speak and the things that they say that are both honoring to God and some things that are simply not. So he's addressing teachers and preachers. So I want you to know that the text that we're going to be reading today is directly aimed at people like me. But I suspect that there might be something here for you as well. And so James is talking to his people and he's talking about uh, right, uh, good teachers, noble teachers, good, right teachers, and false teachers, uh, teachers that are not of the Lord. And then he goes on in, this, in the top of chapter 4, he goes on to start talking about what is causing sin in this community. And he starts to address real areas of sin and brokenness in the lives of, his, of the people in his congregation. And he starts to start picking at certain things. And so that's why this, this particular passage is important to us, because in the end, we're all, gonna, we're all almost, every, not almost every day, every day, we're sort of like where I was, sitting on the edge of the bed, asking ourselves, in every decision, we're asking ourselves, are we going to follow and submit to Jesus? Or are we going to kind of do our own thing? And boy, there's a great temptation to do our own thing. Because usually when you do your own thing, there's like a quick payoff. There's a quick hit. There's a a wonderful uh, instant gratification. And yet God would say, no, 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 no. Don't submit to those things. Rather, submit to me, Jesus would say. So here's what I know. This week, this month, you are going to have opportunities to submit to Jesus. You're going to have an opportunity where there's going to be like a fork in the road and you're going to go, I'm going to pursue Jesus and that is going to change everything in not only that day, but maybe even your life. 
And this week, this day, this month, you're going to have a decision. And you're going to choose to not submit to Jesus. And that is not only going to change your day. It's going to change your life. My desire is that I would give you everything that you need so that we could stack the deck so that you would say yes to submitting to Jesus. Is that a good idea? Okay, so let's, so let's look at this together. We're looking at James chapter 4. Like I said, setting it up, verses 1 through pretty much 6, is this, const, is this James addressing sins in that congregation, local believers, with an emphasis on the teachers specifically, talking about their desires and how their desires corrupt their um, their decisions and how their decisions are acted out and how they bring strife and hate and all sorts of discord within the community of believers. And it does bring all sorts of discord in our lives and in our church. And then he goes, he gives, he says this, while this, all these sins are true, he starts then with pointing back to Jesus. And we find it in verse 6. Even though we're going to spend most of our time in 7 through 10, I want you to see verse 6. Would you stand with me at the reading of God's word? James chapter 4 verses 6 through 10 says this. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Very heavy. Thus ends the reading of God's word. See, what James is doing is he's just addressed their sin. He's just checked them on not only their sin, but the motivation for their sin, the reason why they do what they do, the thing under the hood. And he addresses this, and then he says, I want to give you a way of being able to fight against sin, of being able to fight against the things that are going to tempt you to pursue, to, to tempt you to submit under someone other or something other than Jesus. And he starts it right here in verse 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God. He says, submit yourselves then to God to God. So what we're going to do is I want you to see how we can fight against sin. So if the question is, how can I fight against sin? What does it, what does it look like to fight against sin? The answer is humbly submit to God. Humbly submit to God. There's a problem though. The idea of submitting in our culture is an entirely loaded term. 
Like, they don't even say that in, uh, in a, a marriage ceremony as much anymore. You know that whole thing? Like, you know, you point to the wife and you say, will you submit onto your husband? And it's like, all the women were like, oh, I love the way that's phrased. Oh, I wish you could say that every day. And so, there was a sense where the word submission is like almost a curse word. But this, the, the, the problem is, the reason that it's a curse word, the reason that it's a curse word, is because number one, we want to play God in our own lives. That's the first thing. And the second one is that we've experienced bad leaders, people that we were supposed to submit unto, maybe our parents, maybe our teachers, maybe our boss. We've had poor examples of submitting unto these kinds of people and finding any benefit in it. But God says, no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm not a bigger version of those people. I'm a perfect version of those people. In other words, if your father, the father the, your parents, say for instance, would have been perfect in love, perfect in wisdom, perfect in um, uh, guiding you, in directing you, in loving you and disciplining you. And, and if that was the case, then they would have looked more like your heavenly father than what you experienced. So you have a perfect father, not this flawed thing that you've seen. So the Bible starts, begins with saying, if we're going to fight against sin, we're going to have to learn how to submit. Now, let me tell you why this is also important. No matter what you say about submission, you are submitting unto someone or something. Do not kid yourself. Think about this. Some of us have spent years on a methadone line because we were submitting unto something. Some of us have spent years drinking alcohol while it's turning our liver to mud because we're submitting unto something. The alcohol says, go, get, go, go to the refrigerator, go to the store, do whatever you have to do, go get it, and you get it. Some of us have submitted unto this idea of romance. Once I fall in love, then I'll be complete. And you have put yourself in relationships that in your right mind you never would volunteer to, but you are submitting unto something. Beloved, some of you are so surrendered to your bitterness that it's eating away at your insides. You're going to submit to something the question is, will you submit to the one who loves you and who draws you to himself and who heals you? Or will you submit to the thing that will destroy you, the lover, the substance, the goal in life? Listen, beloved, the only one who can absolutely free you when you submit to him is Jesus. Everything else you submit unto enslaves. So the scriptures say, humbly submit to God. That is the answer. If we're going to fight against sin, if we're going to fight against temptation, what we need to do is to humbly submit to God. But then that begs another question. How can I humbly submit to God? Like, what does that look like? How can I do that? Okay, great. So if 
getting victory in my life, if, if I'm going to have to submit to someone, I might as well do it with Jesus because he's better and he loves me and he's pursuing me and he has nothing but good for me and he sacrificed for me. I'm going to submit. I want to submit. Okay, get, I got it. Humbly submit to God. Got it. Um, how do I do that? How do I do that? Right here, James gives five pairs, sort of five pairs of direction on how to submit to God. How can I submit to God? I'll give you the five pairs right up front. Defer and defend. Come near and be courted. Wash and purify. Joy to gloom. Low and lifted. That is how we are going to Submit humbly before the Lord in our fight against sin. So let's look at each one, shall we? How can I humbly submit to God? Defer and defend. You see this in verse 7? Sure. No, you could keep on writing. It'll still be up there. Um, He says in verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You get it? Defer, that's submit. Defend, that's resist. You got it? So when we're going to fight against temptation, fight against sin, fight against those things that have a grip on our lives that are destroying us, whether it's bitterness or Haagen-Dazs at midnight, whether it's pride or pornography, whether it's uh, an obsession with work and money, or an obsession with our own beauty. Listen to me. If we're going to fight against these things, we're going to have to defer, that is, come under, that is, submit towards, or, and rather, we're going to have to defend. Does this make sense? In other words, when we submit to God, there's still a fight that takes place. And the Bible is telling us that there has to be this thing called resistance. There has to be this thing called, listen, if you're dealing with bitterness, if you're dealing with uh, being hypersensitive, if you're dealing with the issues of your heart where you just want to lash out at other people around you, it's not enough to just say, I'm going to quote a scripture and I'm going to submit unto God because our emotion, that's just willpower. That'll never work. God says, no, 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 I have, remember what he says in verse 6. He says this, he says, but he gives more grace. Don't you love that? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves before God and we say, okay, how can I fight against this thing? So for some of us, fighting against, resisting the devil is deleting a phone phone number on our phone or blocking a person on our social network. That would be a way of resisting. For others of us, it's gathering, um, getting another brother or sister and saying, I think we struggle with the same thing. Would you be, can we help each other in that struggle so that we don't have to go back to the same old thing? How do we resist? We resist in a hundred ways. We've got to be able to be at war with our sin. We humble and resist. The picture that God gave me of this as I was 
um, in the last couple of weeks is the picture. So the Christian life over and over again is considered like warfare. It's considered like, you know, we're even called soldiers at a certain point in the scriptures. And so it's like warfare. And so if you could imagine there's an incredible battle going on and you're in the trenches and Jesus comes up to you and he's your commander and it's you and him. And between you and Jesus and the, the helicopter that's going to take you out of the battlefield, there are landmines and soldiers. There are knives and bullets and guns. There are tanks and planes and um, artillery. And everything is pointed at you. And then Jesus turns around and he says, listen to me, three miles from here, just up that road, and you go, you mean the road with all the tanks, the missiles, and all that other stuff? Yeah, 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 up that road. Three miles, it's we're going to get to freedom. You just, but here's what I need you to do. I just need you to always stay behind me. Always stay behind me. If you stay behind me, you'll get, we'll get to the helicopter. We'll get to the other side. You got to stay behind me. But don't deviate to the left. Don't deviate to the right. Because if you deviate, you're going to get harm. Like lose a leg, harm. Don't deviate to the left or the right. Just stay with me. And it has these plowing through. You're frightened and you're hearing the sounds and you're going, but you're following Jesus the whole way through. And he's the one who can get you home safe and with joy. Now, what does that look like in our lives? That means when you and I have a longing, and don't we have longings that we can't righteously fulfill? Am I the only one who has that? No, no, no. We all have longings that we can't righteously fulfill. So following Jesus goes, God, I'm going to submit unto you. I'm going to trust. Like if you're bitter, we've been talking about bitterness for a little bit. And so if you're bitter, we can go, okay, wait, 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 wait. It is, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Submitting is going, I believe you. I believe you. I'm going to trust you that for those people who have harmed me, for those people who have done me wrong, I'm going to submit unto you and believe what your word says. But then there are moments where the devil goes, can you believe them? (laughs) After all of that, look at them smiling and having a good time. You should give them a piece of your mind. What is happening? What's happening? You have now a moment. You've been submitting unto God, but now you have a moment to resist. And you go, listen, Satan, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he is the one who's going to make right those wrong situations. And I can trust him. And this is just a landmine that you're looking for me to step on. I'm going to stay rather with Jesus. Do you see that? That's what it looks like to submit or in our terminology, defer and defend, submit and resist. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first step is to defer and defend. The second step, if we're going to humbly submit to God, and that's in our fight against sin, is we're going to have to come near and be courted. We're going to have to come near and be courted. You could write that down if you like. Verse 8 says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Isn't that good news? Come near to God and he will come near to you to you, that there's this promise, there's this beautiful promise that God draws, not only does he give you the will and the desire and the longing to draw to himself, in other words, he gives you the strength to move towards him, the very breath that you're taking to move towards God, he's the one who gave you, he's the one who gave it to you, but then on top of that, he says, and I'm pursuing you, and I'm going towards you. 
He's not like um, those games. You ever play a game like um, in the beach or on the pool where you have like a, a, a thing that you're going to give somebody? He goes, oh, here. And then they start coming for it, and then you just start moving backwards. You ever play that game? And it's like, ah, oh, ha, 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 ha. That's not God. That's not God. God says, right here. And he takes you and he brings you to the thing. You see, he gives you the strength. Because he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace, strength, ability to the humble. That's why we humbly submit. God says, come near to me and I'll draw near to you. That no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, you go, but you don't understand. I felt like the whole church was going to fall on my head when I walked in this morning. You don't know what I did. I can honestly tell you, I'm the worst person in this room. God gives grace. He gives more grace than you deserve. He gives more grace than you've earned. He gives you more grace than you've even asked for. He gives more grace. And then when you've run out of that, he gives more. And then when you run out of that, he gives even more. Why? God says, come near to me and be courted. Find your delight. If we're going to, if we're going to stay away from sin, we have to be so filled with Christ that we have no appetite for sin. Does that make sense? Like, um, uh, I had uh, Shelly uh, made this wonderful, incredible um, banana bread pudding that she makes me sometimes. And so she brought it in. And so this thing is it's so good. Like, when I'm eating a regular, like, when I'm eating a regular meal and I have this in my refrigerator, I don't eat till I'm full because I want to leave room for the banana bread pudding. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how you and I pursue Jesus. We take enough of Jesus just to feel better, but not enough to say no to the things and the temptations that would harm us. No, 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 no. Come near to God. Be so filled, be so gorged, be so satisfied with Jesus that coming to your sin will not have the same power that it has on you. We do that as we come together. We do that as we read the word of God. We do that. Uh, I've been struggling, really struggling, not fake struggling, really struggling with temptation lately. And it's been very, very profound. And I read through the book of Hebrews. And it, there was this one phrase that I never saw before. And I've read through the book of Hebrews a lot, like dozens and dozens and dozens of times throughout my life. And I saw it and I was like, looking forward to, looking forward to. It's like they were looking forward to a better resurrection. They were looking forward to their heavenly place. They were looking for that. In other words, they could suffer what they could suffer because they were so overjoyed with looking for what was better in Christ rather than the instant gratification of that moment. Do you see what I'm saying here? See, we come near and we're courted. When I say courted, that means God coming to you. He goes, come here, come here, come here. I love you. You're, my, you're the apple of my eye. You are the, you're my heart. He pursues you. Let's keep going. How can I humbly submit to God in my fight against sin? I defer and defend. I come near and, be, and I'm courted. And then I wash and purify. I wash and purify. Okay, so... It says here in verse 8, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you're double-minded. I had to confess recently to God, I think I'm double-minded. 
And that's terrible because what the Bible says about the double-minded man being unstable in everything that they do. I was like, oh, I think that's true about me. I think that's true about me. But he says these two things. He says, I want you to address the outside and I want you to address the inside. Not just the outside, but also the inside. What does he say? He goes, wash your hands outside. In other words, there are things that you're doing with your hands. There are places that you're going. There are things that you're saying. There are, uh, are people that you're seeing. There are things that you're doing. There are activities that you're involved with that you just need to wash your hands. You need to not be a part of anyone. Wash your hands, you sinner. And purify your heart externally, internally. Watch your actions. Check your motives. Watch your actions. Check your motives. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Even those of you who are doing good things, but your motives are not purified. Like the reason that you serve, and this happens all the time, right? Um, like the reason that we serve in whatever one of our uh, ministries is to really feel good about ourselves or to have others talk about us in, in a, a good light. You see, you gotta, you're, you're pure, you've washed your hands, but you've not purified your heart. And again, you go, this is impossible, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How can I humbly submit to God in my fight against sin? I can defer and defend. I can come near and be courted. I can wash and be purified. That is to say, I can watch my actions and motives. Wash, purify. Joy to gloom. Oh, this is, this is profound. In verse 9, it says, grieve, mourn, and wail. This is basically all saying the same thing. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Over and over. He just says in like one sentence, hey, you like the wrong things. You celebrate the wrong things. You're proud about the wrong things. The Lord, again, the Lord just revealing this to me. I, I, I. I enjoy too much what God doesn't enjoy. And going to God and going, okay, I need to turn my joy. I need to turn, uh, as it says here, my joy to gloom. That there are, there are things that we think about in our own past that we revisit in fantasy. It's a terrible thing. This is the most obvious one, right? So like, you know, you're, you're clean or sober, and then you look back and you go, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. I can't do it anymore because I know the consequences of it, but all oh, the fun that we used to have. See, for you and for me, we're talking, remember, James is speaking to teachers more than he's speaking to um, parishioners. He's saying this, He's saying this, that you have to change your scorecard of what fun is. That in our minds, for us, it's like sin is like 95% bad, but 5%, woohoo, right? Like 95% bad, but 5%, it's like, oh, I really, really, really love this. James is saying, turn that memory, turn that thing that you've loved, 
that romance that you want to come back to, but you feel you can't because it hurts so bad at the end, that you have to kind of hold on with grit and just going, I'm not going to go back there, I'm not going to go back there. Not because it's sin, but because you know the consequences and you just don't want to experience the consequences. Because your heart hasn't been changed. Go back to what we just said about washing and purifying. Your hands have been clean, but your motives haven't been purified. And James is saying, you need to turn. No, every moment, every moment submitted unto Satan in that lifestyle, even while I was having fun, I was dying and it was death. Turn your joy to gloom. The glory days are not so glorious. How can I humbly submit to God in my fight against sin? I defer and defend. I come near and courted. I wash and purify. I joy, um, turn my joy to gloom. And then I'm low and lifted. You see that in verse 10? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In other words, <coughs> I can come to the Lord and go, God, you're the one that I want glory. You're the one that I want to bring and give all the glory to. God, be glorified, be lifted high, be celebrated, and be honored. Now, as I do that, I, re I recognize that God is the one who encourages, that it's God is the one who satisfies, that it's God who's the one. Now you're here and you've never experienced this. Listen to me, we go back to verse six, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I can tell you this, you will never be able to defer and defend, come near and be courted, wash and purify, joy to gloom and low to lift it. I'm asking for of you too much, but we gotta go back to that verse six, Jesus will do this in you. He will give the grace that you don't have. And you say, I don't have it in me. Good, me too. We can do this together. I don't have it in me either. There are things that I want that I cannot have. There are desires that I have that I cannot righteously satisfy. There are temptations that I struggle with that can easily disqualify me from even speaking to you. And so we must together agree that we do not have the strength together. However, there is one who does. There is one who fought against sin, not at the ultimate part of his willpower, not at the risk of his life even, but at the cost of his life. He fought against Satan and sin and came out victorious and then promised to give you the same power that resurrected him from the dead so that you can win your fight against sin as well. He is for you and he reminds you even before he tells you these 10 things, these five pairs, he says, but I give more grace. Therefore, in Psalm, in the book of Psalms, I say, God resists the proud but gives grace. He'll give you grace. Run to Jesus. Find your hope and joy and satisfaction in Jesus. Now, what would happen? What would happen if we actually took seriously the idea of submitting to Jesus? Here's what's going to happen. You will never have another year that looks like your last year. Do you understand what I'm saying about this? Has anybody here, have, have you ever made so, the, the same mistake over and over and over again, okay, great, three of us. Wonderful, let me talk to you three. Because we have not submitted to God, 
because we have, so we have to first and foremost come to Jesus and go, Jesus, I don't got it in me. Let's just all agree we don't got it in us. However, we can all agree that Jesus can do abundantly above over all that we ask or think that Jesus has the power to give us the strength to do all that he's asking us to do. And that as we submit, that's why it starts with submitting, as we submit to him, that we find in him great strength and joy to resist even the most powerful of temptation and sin in our lives. You know what will happen. Your work environment will change. Because you're no longer functioning off of those old fleshly ways of functioning with your work uh, environment and the people that you work with. You know what will also change? Your marriage. Your marriage will change. You know why? Because you're no longer functioning off of those old patterns. You're submitting unto God. And you're not trying to get in the last word. You're trying to submit to the only Lord. You see, he is able to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. You know what else change? Your singleness. You no longer will have to go through life as a single person going, oh, I just, I wish I could have that. No, 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 no. You have a husband. His name is Jesus. And he'll pursue you and love you. And if it's his call for your life to be single, he'll give you the grace. Or if he's developing a new character and all the other things that he needs to develop in you in order for you to be ready for the marriage, then he'll do that too. But here's the deal. It'll all change as we submit to God. And we can have the guarantee that Jesus will do what he said he's going to do because he himself laid down his life for us. You, listen, I tend to believe the guy who laid down his life for me. Anybody who gives their life to me, I owe them everything. It's just that way. 